CDM Media's Executive Insights. I'm your host, J.D. Miller, Vice President at CDM Media. We have a great show for you today. Joining us is Paige Adams. Paige is the Group Chief Information Security Officer at Zurich Insurance. Zurich is the leading multi-line insurer that serves its customers in global and local markets. With about 55,000 employees, it provides a wide range of property and casualty and life insurance products and services in more than 215 countries and territories. When we come back, Paige Adams. Welcome back, and we've got Paige Adams. Paige, thanks for joining us today. Hi, JD. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So a lot of questions we want to dive in um, with, with a company that is global. Really, you experience things that some companies don't. So i uh, love to tap your experience and, and what's going on for you. And, and right now, we're about a month or more into work from home for a lot of people. Some are starting to go back, but um, others, not sure when. So what has surprised you about the shift to work from home from a, a data security standpoint? Was your organization ready? Uh, yeah, good question, JD. I think you know there's a number of lessons learned uh, from this whole event uh, that not only Zurich has learned by, but uh, I know a lot of my peers uh, in the industry have also been, you know, taking a lot of good notes on this and what worked and what didn't work. I, I think in terms of surprises, for me, uh, one of the big surprises was just the diversity and the level of preparedness among different companies and different industries. And certainly that makes sense though, if you think about it, uh, companies, there's some companies that are certainly less uh, digitally native or, or affluent uh, in, in digital technology. Uh, those were probably ones that were more impacted. Uh, companies that, uh, probably that are more global and have more of a, a, a nature towards doing more things like teleconferencing and web conferencing and have invested in that are certainly ones that were better prepared. Uh, I think in terms of Zurich, uh, we, uh, we were pretty lucky in a lot of ways. Uh, I think we were more ready than some probably more, more ready than average. Uh, certainly it helps with the industry that we're in with insurance. Uh, we don't have a heavy reliance on being on site, you know, in terms of if you think of something like manufacturing or some other industry that requires a lot of people to be in one fixed location. Um, we had uh, lesser dependencies in that area. And uh, fortunately for us, we had already come off of, or were in the midst of, uh, a very large upgrade in terms of remote technology. We had just undergone a large VPN uh, upgrade uh, transition an initiative that we were just at the tail end of when we when we went into this remote work situation. We'd also uh, invested in a shift to uh, to Microsoft Teams, uh, which was very helpful in in providing that remote collaboration platform. And so I think uh, in, in all uh, the the timing for us was actually pretty fortunate that we were we had the right technology in place. We had the training in place uh, for the most part uh, across the company, so we were able to pivot pretty pretty easily. When we're talking work from home and in many organizations trying to head back there, did you, with your organization, think about accepting more risk because of the expedited manner in which companies had to pivot from work to, from home and now some pivoting back? 
Well, I think in general, yes. I mean, and, and not only for myself, but I know for my, uh, my other CISO colleagues out there, uh, we've had a lot of discussions in different forums about uh, the risk profile, the, the amount of risk that we've been able to accept or tolerate and, and how we've approached that. But I would say in general, you know, anytime you have a, a, a major disruption or a change in your working environment, there's going to be things that you're going to have to, to look at and make a risk decision on. And I think that uh, we all rush very quickly to, to move to accommodate this remote workforce. And there were things that we just, you know, didn't really uh, have a plan in place for that we had to come up with solutions uh, on the spot to accommodate. As an example of one of those, and this seems rather mundane, but just things like remote printing. And uh, I know for us, like a lot of organizations, we've uh, made a push to go uh, digital and have all digital workflows and reduce the, the need for printing and go to a paperless office. And I think luckily we had already undergone a major shift in that direction. So we had less reliance on, you know, the the need to to print out things physically, but yet we did find that there were, were some limited cases where there were uh, legitimate business uh, requirements to to be able to print things on paper. So then we had to think about, well, how do we safely enable remote printing? Because in some cases, we, we didn't want to open up the network to be able to bring in, uh, to allow folks to uh, print wirelessly to a network printer, for example. But then we had to think about things. Oh, well, maybe local USB is okay. So then it becomes a, a, uh, a question of, you know, do people have the right technical support? Uh, obviously, if they're on Windows 10 devices, uh, Windows 10 is plug and play. So the USB drivers just work uh, uh, for the most part for most printers. But then we had to think about, well, what if people had difficulty in doing that and they needed some extra configuration? Uh, how would we deliver that technical support remotely? So, and then how do we adjust our uh, data loss prevention uh, policies to have an audit log of who is printing and what they're printing, you know, should we, should we need that? So we had to think through all of those things uh, pretty much on the spot. Um, another major shift too was really our third party relationships. And we at Zurich, like a lot of organizations, use a lot of uh, or work with a lot of third parties. Uh, a number of those are offshore, have significant offshore populations. And whereas we may have been postured to work remotely, what we found was uh, very quickly, we were in a situation where some of those third parties we rely upon for critical services may not have been so well prepared. So we had to very quickly think about how you know, the nature of the relationship, how to accommodate those workforces that were, were shifting over to remote work, some of whom you know, didn't have the IT technology, the equipment to support that. So the question became, how do we work with that particular vendor to make sure that those individuals that are re working remotely, working from home, have the right technology and then have the right security posture in place to accommodate the work that they were doing. So that was a, a pretty major effort. And I know we, as well as a lot of our peers, were, were dealing with a very similar situation. When you look at now returning to the office, what are some learnings that you had um, in this remote setting that you're taking back and, and, hey, maybe we'll do this a little bit differently after this huge learning experience? 
good question. And I think that, you know, I've heard a lot of talk about the new normal and, uh, and moving back to a situation of what that looks like, or is it going to be, are we going to return to a, a situation exactly like what we were in before uh, this uh, remote work uh, happened and before we, uh, we, we encountered these challenges. And I think that the consensus is for the most part that there is going to be a, a new normal and that things aren't going to look exactly the same. I think we've learned some lessons and uh, we've also, uh, I mean, the big thing is we've learned to adapt. And I think that what we've learned in general is that uh, remote working uh, works. You know, in a lot of cases, uh, I think, uh, you know, we've demonstrated we not only just Zurich, but a lot of organizations have have shown that uh, they do have the ability to to adapt and work remotely. And there's a number of jobs that can be done remotely. So I would expect that remote working will be more the norm uh, than it was before. But it's also forced us to take a close look at what those uh, what the remote work technology, what, what technologies and capabilities we have in place and uh, take stock of what worked well, what didn't work so well, and how do we adjust our security posture based on that. You know, for example, uh, we rely a lot on VPN now. It's uh, like a lot of organizations do. So the question is, well, do we, do we have the, the bandwidth capabilities through VPN? How resilient is VPN? Do we have the fallback mechanism? Um, do we have the same kind of security controls or better security controls in place for VPN that we would have on the network? You know, how do we deal with things like multi-factor authentication? Do we have those mechanisms in place? So I think thinking through all of those parts and making sure those are in place uh, is important. But even more than that, I think that uh, the really interesting thing is I think that this whole situation may have actually pushed us uh, further in the direction that uh, we were already headed in with maybe more of uh, embracing, you know, what's, what's uh, fondly known as, as zero trust uh, networking. Uh, as we move towards uh, more of these dispersed models, I think there may be some cases where we don't rely on VPN at all, but we have this... Uh, you know, in the inherent controls in our applications, many of which are in the cloud now. Some organiza organizations are, are fully uh, cloud native now. So thinking about how we control access and uh, authentication and uh, data flow within those cloud uh, environments, I think is, it, it, it's, it's always been important, but this new work environment has really pushed it to the forefront thinking about new ways that we accommodate. And what, what that really uh, ends up with is a lesser reliance on on-prem uh, networks and technology in general. You, you mentioned a, a, a really buzzword thing that really is really high right now, zero trust. Now, tell me about that evolution for you uh, as a security executive, you know, really getting your mind around zero trust and what that can mean for your organization. Yeah, I almost don't prefer to use the, the term zero trust just because it's, uh, there, you know, there, we're still in that stage of the hype cycle where there's a lot of, you know, hype around what zero trust is and what it means and also uh, zero trust uh, to those that aren't familiar with, with actually what it means. It, it, it tends to uh, cause some, some unease when you say to uh, maybe your workers, your workforce, I'm not going to trust you. That's the way it's perceived. Um, so in, instead of using zero trust, I like to use the term explicit trust. 
right? So what that means is I'm not going to implicitly trust you just because you have a network connection, right? You're going to have to assert your identity that has to be challenged before I give you access to, to this data or to this system. Now, the good thing is that we have technology in place today uh, where that can all be done in the background for the most part, right? So we can take the burden off of the user, off of the employee, because nobody wants you know, another password that they have to memorize. And certainly we all have enough passwords to, to, to deal with these days. So you don't want someone to have to type in a password or do something laborious for every system that they need to log into. But I think that with some of the innovations now in uh, things like single sign-on that's enabled through uh, biometrics and other technologies, we can have that seamless experience. And in the background, what's happening is that identity is being challenged and asserted without the user even really recognizing what's going on in, in most cases. And it's a much stronger model than just saying, hey, I'm going to log on to a VPN and then I can have access to everything that's on the corporate network uh, in general. It kind of brings me to this next question because there's so much learning that has to be done around um, zero trust and, and other things as well. How do engineers and security executives learn and stay current with security application development solutions right now? Well, I think it's always been a, a challenge in, in the field of technology, you know, even since the earliest days to, to stay current in, in what's going on. And certainly, if you're working with any sort of technology, you have to be willing to adapt and grow. You know, it's certainly not one of those environments where you, you can come in, uh, start a career out of college with all of the, the knowledge that you need under your belt and then expect to work a 30 or 40 year career and never really uh, you know, have to learn anything new. It's certainly not like that. Um, I think the, the move toward uh, cloud and uh, agility and, and all of those kind of buzzwords that we use around that, Certainly, it's, it's forced a lot of uh, new ways of doing development and thinking about how we do development. So uh, I think a continuous training mindset is important. So what that means for me is I want to afford the folks that work for me uh, the ability to, to go back and, and do training. And sometimes that's through vendor training opportunities or other training opportunities. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of just in general, there's a lot of great training that's out there that exists. So allowing the workforce the time to focus on you know, building up those skills and maintaining those skills is important. But I think another part of that is, and this is something that, uh, that, I, that I talk about quite a bit, is that you know, what we're seeing is a lot of specialization in, in different areas. And I think security and secure development have become uh, so specialized in, in some ways that, you know, I don't expect someone that's a, uh, a developer or, you know, an application engineer to know everything that there is about any one development environment or even about all aspects of security. So I certainly can't expect a developer to be a security expert overnight. Um, likewise, we don't have enough security experts in general to, to embed one on every development team. So the question is, you know, how do we do just-in-time training and how do we kind of bridge that gap and, and build just enough security knowledge to, to get the job done and to be able to ask the right questions and then to enable those developers to go back and seek out 
more assistance where, where needed. Um, there's some really cool technology and opportunities that are out there now for delivering just-in-time trading for developers through uh, web-based trading, you know, uh, small bite-sized chunks of things that they would uh, be able to use to, to enhance their skill sets, to learn about security principles. Maybe they, they do a 10-minute uh, online uh, training that gives them an overview of the OWASP top 10, for example, or maybe even uh, about one particular uh, security configuration in their uh, programming language of choice, for example, be it uh, Python or Java or what have you. So uh, we're, we're exploring all of that now and looking for unique ways to deliver that training, even gamified training in some cases. And then we are also taking our security professionals and enhancing their knowledge about things like cloud in general and DevSecOps and what they need to know to be able to support our development workforce. For you, is it a challenge to find, recruit, and keep good security researchers and engineers um, right now? I know there's a lot of people looking for jobs. That doesn't mean it's the right person for the job and there's still a lot of training to be done. Do you find it a challenge to, to find those, those good people? I think that you know one of the hottest professions behind security in general is HR. Right. And the reason why that's such a hot profession is because it's it's a challenge to recruit and find good people in general. Right. No matter what what the job is. And our HR business partners do a good job of helping us uh, uh, seek out the right people and recruit and retain uh, the people that uh, help us get the job done. Uh, but I would say, you know, the security market is a hot market now and it, and it has been for a while and we don't anticipate that that is going to change anytime soon. There's just a lot more demand for those, those skills than there are people that have them. So uh, we, we need to focus on recruiting the right people and we do that through uh, a couple of different means. I mean, certainly you want to have competitive uh, compensation. I mean, that's, that's an important part. But even just even beyond that, I think you want to offer something that is, uh, that's challenging and professionally rewarding. And so we, we try to offer that to, uh, to our folks. And, and, and when we go and try to recruit folks, we, we give them a glimpse of what they'll be working on. And, and we think that it's some of the most interesting challenges in security now. And then, you know, we offer, in addition to the compensation, we offer uh, training. We provide opportunities for folks to grow and learn uh, once we're on the, uh, uh, on, the, on the staff. And then we provide a diversity of experience, or we try to. Uh, you know, one of our philosophies that when, is when people uh, sign on to work with us, you know, if it, for example, if it's a security engineer, maybe it's an application security engineer. The expectation is, uh, you know, we want to keep you for the long term. We want to give you opportunities to grow both in application security, but at some point you may want to branch off and do something else. Maybe you want to be a business information security officer. Maybe you're interested in uh, GRC or something like that. So we, we want to provide those opportunities for people to cross train and get a variety of different experiences and hopefully you know, grow and take on more responsibility or more interesting jobs uh, over the course of a career. So uh, providing those, those uh, types of uh, experiences are important. I would say another thing that we're doing though to address the recruiting uh, problem is I think for many years, uh, 
we've always assumed that the source of cyber talent, information security talent, was going to universities and getting those folks that were graduating with a four-year degree in computer science or computer engineering or related discipline. So one of the things that we've been doing at Zurich lately is looking to non-traditional sources of talent. And uh, one of those um, programs that uh, I'd like to highlight is our cyber apprenticeship program, because I think it's been very successful for us. And what we've done with the cyber apprenticeship program is we've entered into a partnership with a local community college. And it provides an opportunity for those that have a desire to get in to cybersecurity, but maybe they don't know how, maybe they don't have the means or the mechanism to do that, they don't have the four-year degree already, but they, they desperately want to get into the field and they have an aptitude to do so. So we partnered, as I said, with this local community college and we, we offer a program that's a, a work-study program. Uh, we get folks that come into the program, they spend about 70% of their time actually working on the job at Zurich, doing things like incident response, application security, vulnerability management, et cetera. And then they spend about 30% of their time in more traditional classroom training. And uh, it's a two-year program. After they complete the program, they get a certification in cybersecurity. And if they have successfully completed the program, uh, you know, done everything that they needed to do in terms of showing up uh, and, you know, uh, putting in the time and effort to learn the job and, and uh, uh, meeting all of the academic requirements otherwise through the school. Once they've completed that, we offered them a job uh, on the spot. So it's been a really great program. We just finished with our first cohort or we're, we're ending our first cohort now and we're actually getting ready to uh, welcome the next cohort in, in the fall. Oh, that's outstanding. Sounds like a wonderful program. Uh, one final question for you. We, we've gone through a lot of change uh, as organizations, especially uh, in security because of the change in office and business structure. Do you feel that security has moved even more into the forefront of overall business planning for organizations? Yes, very, very much so. Uh, I would say even prior to the COVID-19 situation, there was a focus on uh, business resilience and, and cyber resilience as a, as a major part of that over the last year or so. Um, I mean, uh, most of the conferences that I've attended and gone to, there was a, a lot of talk around resilience that's become uh, very much a, a key phrase now. And there was a lot of planning that was done around that. And I know at Zurich, we, we focused a lot on cyber resilience and information security over the last year or, or a couple of years, I would say. And we had done a lot of, uh, we had done a lot of planning. We had done a lot of tabletop exercises to prepare for things such as mass ransomware events and the like. And the interesting thing though, it's, uh, it's been really interesting for me to see how planning for a cyber event, such as a computer virus, has yielded benefits in dealing with this current pandemic, uh, which is a, a biological virus. And what I mean by that is uh, we had already thought through a lot of things, such as having resilient communication paths in place, uh, having pre-planned responses and written response plans, having decision committees in place, such as crisis management teams, et cetera. So we had already set up a lot of those mechanisms and we were able to pivot very quickly to using our crisis management team to focus on 
the COVID-19 situation uh, in general, which uh, you know has been accompanied as we've seen by some cyber activities and threats. We've seen uh, an uptick in things like phishing and other uh, attacks and things uh, on the cybersecurity side that are looking to take advantage of the current situation. But I would say that, that yes, that was already uh, forefront in our minds, but certainly if, if nothing else, this current situation has just underscored the importance of being resilient in general, understanding, having a very deep understanding of what your core uh, uh, critical business capabilities are, uh, and how would you respond if those if business was disrupted, if it wasn't business as usual, if those core systems go down, or if you're forced into a different working mode. So I would say that yes, security is is very much uh, top of mind. I know it is for our senior executives and our board, and I will it's I would expect that going forward out of this current situation, it will uh, continue to be even more so. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Paige, for, for taking the time to talk to us today and uh, always being a great friend to, to CDM Media. We really appreciate it and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thanks, J.D. It was my pleasure and you have a great day as well. A great talk there with Paige. CDM is the global leader in creating live face-to-face -face connections to drive business relationships, both in person and in digital spaces. You likely know CDM Media from our famous summits where we build connections between top industry leaders. Even in this time of social distancing where it's harder than ever to get deals done, where handshake deals are done across cameras and screens, CDM Media is still making those connections happen. Visit cdmmedia.com to learn about our line of digital events, which include digital summits, targeted digital boardrooms, content syndication, digital audience acquisition, and yes, even podcasts. Our focus remains the same, to bring people together to share ideas, get business done, and further your industry. Visit cdmmedia.com to learn more. We return next week for another edition of Executive Insights.